What's up, everybody? This is Sarah. I just wanted to give you a quick warning here. There is a very, very brief mention about disordered eating in this episode. Doesn't go into any detail, but just a quick, quick mention. I just wanted to put that out at the beginning so you have sufficient warning before the episode starts. Okay, now let's get into it. Hello, everyone. This is Sarah, your host of Talk to the Hand podcast, a podcast about the 90s, everything you love about the 90s and more. This week is our very first episode. I'm so excited. I have been doing a ton of research on this. It's been so much fun to research this one. My background is in research, actually. My undergraduate degree is in political science. My master's degree is in history. So writing this script today and doing the research for this really felt like I was writing a term paper. And I know you guys will think I'm super, super duper freaky, but I really enjoyed it. I'm going to get into the topic in just a minute, but I wanted to update you on some news and also tell you that we are in the middle of a heat wave right now in LA. So I got my AC running right behind me and it's right next to me on my computer and my microphone. So you'll probably hear that. Like I said, I also live on a really busy street. So if you hear sirens, motorcycles, shouts, barking dogs, you know, that's that's why. So also I wanted to make sure that you are following us on social media, talk to the hand pod on Instagram and TTTH pod on Twitter. Today, um, I'm gonna be talking about the Spice Girls. I was trying to think about what kind of what kind of topic I wanted to do to kick off this whole thing, and you know, what better, what more 90s than the Spice Girls? You know, I did a ton of research, and I was just actually blown away by the Spice Girls. I was blown away by their drive, motivation. They're also kind of just this underlying current of we're independent women, we can do what we want, and you know, that kind of plays into the whole girl power thing, but the Spice Girls were actually interesting because in 1997, they released a number three best, the, the number three best selling album of all time by a girl group. And nine months later, still in 1997, released the first best sell, selling album by a girl group ever. So they had, they had the first and the third, both in 1997, both these, these basic world accolades of um, girl groups. So they're quite impressive. I used a couple sources, actually used a lot of sources for this, but the three I'm gonna give you um, today, I it was a 2007 BBC documentary um, that was created in the wake of their re- reunion announcement, and it's called Give You Everything. It's available on YouTube, you can search it. An article called It's Been 20 Years Since Jerry Hallowell Wore the Union Jack Dress from Harper's Bazaar. And then a New York Times article called The Rise of the Spice Girls Generation. Those are my three main sources. The documentary obviously is is 13 years old. The two articles are written in the last couple years. So so I'm going to uh, do a little bit of, of history here about the Spice Girls. So who are it? Who are the Spice Girls? I mean, we all know who they are. We all know who, you know, Victoria Beckham is. But the Spice Girls were a five-piece girl group that formed in 1994 in London. It's made up of Melanie Brown, a.k.a. Mel B, a.k.a. Scary Spice, Melanie Chisholm, Mel C, a.k.a. Sporty Spice, Emma Bunton, Baby Spice, Victoria Beckham, as you know, but she was Victoria Adams back then, uh, Posh Spice, and then Jerry Hallowell, Ginger Spice. I couldn't find any 
records of her being called Sexy Spice, but I actually remember anecdotally from my experience that she actually was went by Sexy Spice for for a hot minute there at the beginning, and then all of a sudden she was Ginger Spice. So we're gonna go with Ginger. Um, that's what she, you know, still identifies as. So they're the best-selling girl group of all time, one of the best selling pop groups of all time and if you can believe this the biggest british group since the beatles their legacy wasn't just you know two incredible albums that divine define my childhood actually there was another one but we're going to go with the two spice and spice world really their legacy is really a kind of surrounding this girl power message that was instilled in young girls of my generation in the 90s and I actually see resonate and have a ripple effect today in 2020. So, so yeah, so that's who they are, these five, five incredible women. Um, so they formed in 1994, and the thing about the Spice Girls is they all came from really humble beginnings. They all wanted to be performers of some kind. And so in 94, they were all, they were all high school, late teens, and um, all answered to a audition flyer for a girl band. And this was still kind of new, a new, you know, 94 was pretty early if you think about it for pop bands. It was 94, we're talking, that's like, you know, the year Cobain died, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that's the year Cobain died. And, you know, that's the band, the whole idea of the band, pop band was not really a thing. It was, that was more in the fringes, you know, those were more the hip hop groups and the um, grunge and metal and, you know, alternative, all that. So they auditioned for, for this particular girl group. They all sang, you know, Victoria actually sang, I found this really interesting. She sang Mine Hair from Cabaret. Uh, she was a musical theater girl. So I thought that was super interesting. Melby sang Whitney Houston. Jerry actually missed the audition and called them later and they took her in. And then Emma is actually interesting because there was another Spice Girl in there before her name, Michelle Stevenson. And um, all the girls say that she didn't really vibe with the rest of the group. So Emma called kind of the same thing with Jerry and came in later and she said she just kind of fit fit right in and actually Emma herself says they needed her so it's kind of cute but they also they lived in this house together and uh, they moved into the same house and it you know they all expressed they clicked instantly they felt like they were each other's people and every single one of them when they were when they talk about that time in their life says they couldn't imagine life without each other they were the each other's new family and they got close really really quickly I wanted to point out I didn't know until now that they lived together in this home unpaid that was owned by a father and son management team so these girls were living in this home unpaid they were being groomed they were being um you know rehearsed all of that to be this girl group but the father and son their way their strategy of of getting them to stay there <laughs> was to basically dangle a promise of a contract without actually producing one. So the girls, like, you know, they they were practicing, they were, they were singing their songs, they were writing their songs, they were having a good time, they were really vibing with each other, and they just were tired of dragging their feet. So they met an industry titan named Simon Fuller um, after a showcase, and uh, since the father and son were kind of dangling this uh, contract in front of them. They kind of called their bluff and they hired Simon because there was no contract and, you know, they just kind of took matters in their own hand and I thought that was really cool. So yeah, so they were originally called Touch 
and then they were called Spice. And the girls was actually added later because people in the industry referred to them as the Spice Girls because there was a American rapper named Spice. So, and and also it's worth noting too that calling them the Spice Girls to me like just reeks of misogyny in the industry. So, but but that's how they were named the Spice Girls is they just kept referring to them as the Spice Girls. Um, again, their signature nicknames, Scary Spice, Sporty Spice, Baby Spice, Ginger Spice, and Posh Spice. Oh, I got those without looking. That was great. Those were actually given to them by a British music journalist who couldn't be bothered to remember their actual names, which is horrifying to me. But again, they kind of just adopted it and ran with it, which is another thing I really loved about them. They were kind of like, well, if you're going to call us that, we're gonna run with it, and we're gonna be Scary Spice, and we're gonna be Sporty Spice. So, that's how they got their nicknames. If you know anything about the Spice Girls, if you grew up with any kind of just interest in the Spice Girls, or you followed them at all, you knew that Mel B and Jerry were the loud, bossy ones. They There was often a power struggle. The girls uh, talk about a power struggle that Emma also had a little feisty side. Um, she was, you know, baby Spice, but she also did have a feisty spi- side and could get in between the two of them. And Victoria and Melcy always considered themselves kind of the bookends. They didn't really get into the line of fire, but they were there. They were there to support the girls. They loved, you know, Jerry was always really positive. And one of the things about them that I really liked about, you know, learning about their their legacy and you know, their humble beginnings is that they didn't want to be told what to do, say or wear. They just wanted to do their own thing. And they also didn't, they had six songs written and they just wanted a different message. They were a group of friends. They, so many songs were coming out during that time about, you know, women's roles and things like that. And what women meant to musicians, particularly men musicians. And then there the women who were you know, front and center were either working with men, um, you know, performing with men, creating with men, or they were, you know, muses, or there was no real, um, no real kind of girl best friend vibe with, you know, in, in the industry. So they wanted a different message. They wanted it to be a group of friends. Uh, they wanted, they, they knew that they wanted to just come across you know, that that empowered girl group rather where, you know, you can picture yourself having sleepovers with them. And that was the that was the kind of vibe they want. They wanted to give off. And the other thing they really wanted to give off was they were normal. You know, they came from humble beginnings. They were normal. They didn't they dressed up. They could spend an hour or two in hair and makeup and get get all dolled up. But when you took all that off, they were so normal. And that's one of the things that really appealed to them, I think. So let's get into how they cracked on the scene, right? So July 1996, Wannabe hits. And they knew from the beginning Wannabe was going to be their first single because, like I said, they're trying to differentiate themselves. So they released it July 1996. Spent It spent four weeks at the top of the Billboard Hot 100 in the U.S. and became the biggest selling debut single by an all-female group and the biggest selling female f- single sorry, by an all-female group of all time. They knew that their other songs were actually better. So if you've listened to Spice, the whole album, you know that the other songs are actually better than Wannabe, but they knew that. But they, when they were uh, in Japan, it reached number one. They did this really cute, impromptu 
excited. They were so excited. They did this performance. They were so excited. And when you listen to them speak about that, they were just young girls. They were young girls in their late teens, early 20s. They were so happy. And they were they they speak about how surreal it felt, how much they appreciated it all, how it was affirming of what they were. They worked so hard and they appreciated every single moment of that instant success and 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 fame and they also knew that the song had one hit wonder written all over it so they all very quickly after they uh released say you'll be there which was their second their second single off of the spice album so the video they were a little they were dressed a little bit hotter the song was a little bit naughtier had a little bit more of an r&b kick to it and that's really what turned them from a one-hit wonder group to a band to an actual part of the lexicon they like i said they were normal girls with normal backgrounds and they wanted i think people really resonated with the fact that you girls can see their dreams come true and they can make it true themselves. Sorry, I'm going to take a sip of my uh, white claw here. I'm a Gemini, so I can just keep talking and talking and talking. I have to force myself to uh, take a little break. Okay, so one of the other notable things about this time period and this this particular experience for them was that they began to uh, really push this girl power uh, message to their fans. They girl power in their in their mind was about supporting other women and encouraging them about females coming together for the girls accepting the way you are and having fun so actually one of the quotes from this documentary i watched uh they had victoria on some kind of interview and she says girl power is about accepting the way you are having fun and if you want to wear a short skirt and a wonder bra wear it but be sure about yourself and have a good time don't let anyone control your life because you run and control your life how cool is that i mean that's so real if you want to wear a wonder bra wear one if you want to wear a short skirt wear one but but wear it with knowing who you are so they were a worldwide success very quickly every a lot of people loved their music their music was fun they resonated with the girls themselves and people just i mean it's hard not to be attracted and just be like drawn to people who are just having fun and these that's what these girls were doing on 1997 was really the year of the spice girls that was their year and and when i give you the timeline here i want you to remember too that all of this happened basically in a span of maybe two years from their boom on the scene to their era ended and i don't want to say ended i want to say their era changed one chapter closed the next one opened so but we're talking about this like beatlemania level spice girls like worldwide success 1997 was when they were on top of the world that was when jerry wore the the famous union jack flag dress which i will talk about in a little bit and also this is kind of when they started so that was 96 was when wannabe came out uh, in the summer fall was when they released Sally, say you'll be there early 1997 is when they went to the brit awards which is when she uh wore the dress and that's kind of when they started transforming and people started looking at them and they reached the point of celebrity where people were starting to be very loud about these empowered women these independent empowered women who are in control of their career in control of their creativity and control of their bodies and their sexuality and it's when they started getting a lot especially jerry started getting a lot of criticism she had a very in my opinion the most like just absolutely beautiful sparkly red dress that she wore at an award show and had a little 
wardrobe malfunction, and then they were ridiculed for being too sexy. And then very shortly after some photos came out, she did what they call glamour shots, which are just topless photos. They were so innocuous. There was nothing wrong with them. They were, they were just topless photos. There was nothing, nothing about it that suggested anything other than they were just beautiful pictures of this beautiful woman and she was legal so so these pictures came out and people started looking at them a little bit differently I think that's when people started taking them seriously in a different way um, that they weren't just a little girl group that sang to like you know little teeny boppers in the 90s which they did but that's I think people started when you reach that level of celebrity you know that's that's what opens the doors to a lot of criticism by a lot of well truly like you know the patriarchy. I'm just going to put that out there. That's that's what it is. But this, but the Spice Girls did incredible in America. Americans were even more embracing and supportive than the British. They've actually said that themselves. They said it was surreal. They just were along for the ride. They felt on top of the world. That year, they also met Prince Charles. Gave him a bunch of smooches. He even said about how he, like he he mentioned to the press how he had a, quite a bit of lipstick to wipe off of his face. You probably have seen the photo of Jerry giving him a little smooch on the cheek. Um, they met Nelson Mandela, if you can believe that. And Nelson Mandela himself said it was the greatest moment in my life to meet them. He even knew who they were. That's pretty cool. And. One of the things, I think it was Mel C said, it just felt like another day at the office. Like at that point, there was nothing, nothing out of the realm of possibilities for these girls. So they, they're on top of the world, 1997. That year they go to Cannes Film Festival and announce that they are releasing a movie called Spice World. And it wasn't about the acting. They were just being themselves. Uh, all the stuff in the movie was just them. They were playing themselves. There was no, they weren't expecting an Oscar. And the thing about it is it was just universally panned by critics. And the, it's just misunderstood. That's not what they were going for. They weren't trying to make anything other than just a fun movie for them and their fan base and just show who they were. Jerry says she thought she was super quote unquote crappy in it. I thought she was adorable in it. Emma says she doesn't remember much about about it other than wearing lots of outfits and not getting a lot of sleep. And I think the reason why they didn't get a lot of sleep was because they were also writing their second album and recording it during their filming. And their second album is also called Spice World. Uh, they had a mobile studio built on their set. So when they were not on camera, they were singing. And I want to point out at this point in time is when in my research and what I remember, this is when they were just, they had gone from artists and spirited, oh, here we have some, uh, we have some sirens coming. So I apologize. They came from the point of being artists and, one second. All right, there we go. Um, so they were artists and creatives, and this is the point where I think they became, they kind of turned into machines. And a lot of, they, they, they kind of put the blame on their manager, Simon Fuller. And that's because they were just, I mean, they just kept, they were just nonstop working. They say that this was a time filming this movie and recording this album and writing this album were a lot of really good days, lots of lots of fun. But they all say that they were also some of the hardest, most awful days. They were together so much, but they cried so much and they laughed so much. So, you know, here you're kind of seeing the the impact of 
this heaviness. I mean, if you can think about it, like these are 20, early, late teens, early 20 year old women. Like I can't even imagine what that reality is like. And these women are just worked like machines. And, you know, they're, they're learning about themselves. They're figuring themselves out while they're going through this. I mean, I can't even fathom what that life would have been like. Emma felt shot, like shadowed out by Jerry. Jerry was the bossy one, but she knew she was the bossy one. And that's because she was the oldest one. Mel B, they all thought she was, you know, she could get a little bit obnoxious and, but also kind of mean. Mel C often said that she felt like they were, you know, that Mel B used to gang up, you know, get the other girls to gang up on her. But still, they were so incredibly close. They were family. They didn't spend any time apart from each other. After Spice Girl, Spice World was released, like I said, universally panned, but that was still their height. That was, that was arguably wannabe everyone remembers wannabe but spice world i i almost feel like people remember that album more than spice just because of the association with the movie and because of all the hits that came from that particular album so that album comes out movie comes out they're still riding that wave baby they are still on spice girl mania and this is the era and 90s kids you will remember this this is the era of the pepsi commercial <laughs> this is when these girls did advertisement after advertisement after advertisement when they weren't singing and they weren't recording and they weren't doing interviews and publicity and whatever they were doing advertisements they did polaroid that like i said they did they did chips they they did so many most notably pepsi um and if you remember britney spears also did pepsi i mean pepsi has just really got their hands into the 90s pop scene okay uh, pause for White Claws sip again. So. They did more advertisements than they did music videos. And they just, you know, they just wanted to do it all. They felt like, but they also felt like it was getting a little extreme. They, they, they were young. They were excited. They were, they were empowered. But I think they bit off too much more they could, than they could chew. I, I really do. I think they started realizing that they were so young. They didn't have that life experience. They didn't have knowledge about how to form boundaries. Think about yourself in your early 20s. I mean, women especially, just with the way that we're conditioned in society, but your early 20s, you don't know boundaries. And and unfortunately, in show business, there aren't a lot of people that want to show you boundaries, um, that want you to learn what boundaries are because they're making money on you. And so no one really, you know, no one really stepped in. They, but they became a household name. And at that point, there was, there isn't one person in the world who, sorry, this is going to be a double negative. There were, there was not one person in the world who did not know who the Spice Girls were. You know, everyone knew in the world who they, they were a household name. With becoming a household name also become, also uh, comes a, lack of respect for selling out and and it's interesting that they call that out that wasn't something that i found to be you know on the commentator's side they called that out so obviously that was something that really got to them that they felt like maybe they were selling out and that their purpose was girl power their purpose was female empowerment and here they are using their kind of their bodies their sexiness for things like pepsi so that's when they started feeling like they were kind of losing control of it 
But I also wanted to say, okay, so we're in 1997 now, and we're like most of the way through 1997. They had never done an arena show before. They had done little performances. They had done performances on, you know, talk shows or, you know, morning news shows, things like that. But they had, and and they've done little performances. Like I said, they had never done an actual concert or a arena show. And they were big enough for an arena show. They'd never, ever done that. I mean, think about them starting in 94, Wannabe started in 90, uh, came on the scene in 96. This is October 1997. Uh, Wannabe was summer of 1996. So they had spent all this time, they became this level of celebrity, this level of mania, and they had never done an arena show. So um, October 12th and 13th, there was a two, 1997, there was a two night concert in Istanbul. And that was their very first live show. They were extremely nervous. But again, one of the things I absolutely loved about them, they were just there to have a good time. They didn't want to have any expectations because when you have expectations for how this show is going to turn out, it's going to fall short somewhere. So they just said, we don't have expectations. They just put them all all the way to the ground. And because of that, they had a great time. But they also knew they didn't have anything to lose, but they... Also, the time where they're like, okay, now we're putting ourselves out there on a completely different level. And that's, um, and I think that did, they hadn't eased their way into it. So by this point, now they're in the spotlight all of a sudden, now they're doing their first show, and now they're really, really affected by public opinion and by the papers and everything. Um, And at that time, Mel C had developed an eating disorder, a restrictive eating disorder and an over-exercise habit. Um, And Jerry was also bulimic. They, but they didn't talk to each other about that. And they they talk about that now, um, how they didn't, they weren't ready to talk about it. They were so close and so um, together that they, they just weren't, they weren't there. They were also didn't have time to talk about it. They, one, one time they were under so much pressure. One month they flew 70 flights in a month and they were starting to feel how hard it was physically and, and demanding it was physically and emotionally that they couldn't fully feel the excitement and joy that they used to because they were exhausted. Um, so they fired Simon because he was just working them too hard. So they fired him in uh, early November, 1997. And then they, the girls themselves, they got together, five of them, no manager, planned a world tour. This is the Spice Girls that I love. They, were, they weren't gonna let a man just run them into the ground. They, they cut him off. It's also worth noting that they actually brought him back later in recent years to work on some reunion stuff. So it wasn't bad blood. They just basically said, dude, you're not for us anymore. We gotta take this into our own hands. Fired him. Did it all themselves, set up a world tour starting November, or fe- sorry, I'm sorry, February 1998. Um, and that's when they say they felt like they were the closest they'd ever been because at that point they didn't have management. It was like getting rid of Simon was a breath of fresh air. They felt like they were starting all over again, which takes me to this era of the Spice Girls. So, February 1998. They did a few shows. They did, you know, they did that this was their spice world tour if you remember that they did some of their shows and two weeks before they were going to america in may of 1998 jerry got off of the plane when they were coming home from one one show 
and she said goodbye. She said, all right, girls, I'm going to leave you here or something like that. I, I can't verbatim remember what she said, but they all remember that being weird. So she left and, and they couldn't really, they were trying to get her back and she just kind of took some time off and they didn't really know where she was and there was speculation in the media that she had quit. Um, they kept saying to the media that she was just sick and they couldn't wait to get her back. The last video they had made, they made before she left was Viva Forever. Um, so then Jerry announced that that she did leave. She knew in her heart that she was ready to leave. She was performing Viva Forever and thought this was the last time I'm going to be singing with these girls. And she felt empty, like she'd given it everything she could. She felt like the band got so big and the girls didn't need her anymore and she felt redundant. And I think it really just boils down to she was just exhausted and burnt out. Um, There was one point where she wanted to do a breast cancer interview alone and they didn't want her to do it, saying that they wanted to be with her and she thought she couldn't even do that by herself so she left there were also rumors about her clashing with mel b but i couldn't find anything to substantiate that so they would so the girls they were obviously very upset but they had to you know on with the show they went to america they did their west palm beach show and they continued to sell out 40 shows in the u.s and grow 60 million dollars without jerry I mean, this is four of them. And they were worried. They were like, are people actually going to come see us now that Jerry's gone? They paid to see five of us. But they freaking killed it. But it was never the same. And they all say that. And at the same time, literally on the same day, Victoria announced that she was pregnant. And this was, you know, during the U.S. part of their tour. And Mel B was like, huh, you know, that's interesting. I think maybe I'm feeling some stuff, too. Maybe I should take a pregnancy test. Boom, comes back positive. So by the end of this tour, two of the four were pregnant. So basically, they took some time off after the tour, and then they came back. They wrote their third album. Um, they wrote a song for Jerry called Goodbye, and they knew that they put it all into that last album. They, the, it, they knew it wasn't, it wasn't how it was before, and they knew it was time to move on. Um, Melby says that in her mind, they never really split up, but they... They just took breaks, and but they knew that it was time to move on for this particular chapter. And they were awarded the Outstanding Contribution to Music Award at the Brits in 2000, um, and that was kind of the cherry on top. And when they accepted the award, they gave Jerry a shout out. So they actually, you know, dedicated it to her and said it wouldn't have been possible without her, which is really cool. So, okay, so they take a hiatus, right? So then they all do their own thing. Victoria, you know, married to David Beckham. All David Beckham's married to Victoria. But Victoria, you know, she does her own thing. She does her fashion thing. They all kind of, Mel B does some music stuff. Mel C has her solo career. They all kind of do their own thing for a while. That really just some, when I say Mel B does some stuff, she, Mel B had a full on music career. Okay, so. I'm not diminishing that. I'm just saying in relation to the Spice Girls. In summer 2007, they announced a reunion tour. They felt this massive relief being back together. It was all five of them. And it's funny because Mel C had said this whole time that she was never going to go back, but she eventually changed her mind. So they did a reconciliation tour and they brought Simon back to manage them. And they just crushed that reunion tour. That was in 2007, starting December 1st. So I don't know if you all remember, the first show was in Toronto. Um, but I remember that because I remember wanting to go very badly. At that point, I was, uh, what, 20 years old. So, <coughs> so yeah. Um, in 2012, they performed at the closing ceremony of the Summer Olympics, if you remember that. 
And they also uh, did another reunion for the premiere of Viva Forever in London's West End, which was the musical that they helped develop based on their music. So kind of like how ABBA has their music um, in Mamma Mia, Viva Forever is the Spice Girls musical. So that's the Spice Girls. That's that's their that's their background. That's their story. So, um, but I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to tell you about their impact and what I think their impact is. When they were first on the scene, their initial popularity was unprecedented, and it drew comparisons, like I said, to Beatlemania. Spice, their first album, was the biggest selling album in 1997 in the U.S. I remember it. I remember it. I remember having that album. Each one of the of the girls in each of the letters, and. I remember a kid I went to school with who brought his copy of Spice to school one day and I was like, oh man, I love that album. And I remember him saying, oh yeah, my mom got it for me because she thought it was a band named Spice and the album named Girls. And I remember I was what, okay, I was 10 years old at that time. I remember, or nine years old at that time, so let's say I was in fourth grade. I remember like kind of turning my head and rolling my eyes, like, come on, man, just admit that you like him. But... (laughs) I digress. So they were the biggest selling album in 1997. They helped bring about a global wave of late 90s, early 2000s teen pop, like Hanson and Britney and Christina and NSYNC. Um, There were so many girl groups that came after them too. All Saints, if you remember All Saints, Bewitched, which was an Irish group, Atomic Kitten, Pussycat Dolls, Fifth Harmony. And not just that, there are so many modern female artists that cite the Spice Girls as major influencers. Lady Gaga is one of them, Demi Lovato, Rita Ora, and and Adele even credits them as a major influence, saying they made me what I am today. So many people influenced by the Spice Girls. And you know, I don't think necessarily they're particularly like the Adele's musical talent is on a different level from the Spice Girls. And I don't ever want to compare the two. There's a motorcycle that just drove by. But I will say that the Spice Girls just had something that everyone could connect to. And I I think, I just think everyone can be inspired by the Spice Girls. Everyone can be inspired by that message and, and that I'm gonna take on my career, my life, my art, myself. So I really like that from the start that they knew they had an ultimate say over their career, their management and their future, from not signing that initial contract with the dad and son to finding their own manager and then firing him when he no longer served them. That's pretty badass if you think about it. Ultimately, from my point of view, Simon overworked them, like I said, um, and it was never the same. And But ultimately, I love the music they produced, but I actually almost kind of wish that they had been able to break free earlier because I think they would have been able to sustain a longer spotlight. Although I think ultimately I believe in the universe and I believe that they left when their work was done. By the time they left in the late 90s, so 1998, that's when the Britneys and Christinas were coming in. And I don't mean any disrespect to to Britney and Christina because I'm going to have a whole episode on on those queens because they seriously, those are my queens too. But by the time they left, we were entering a new era of pop, and I don't think their particular brand um, fit. And so I do think they would have changed and morphed, and they would have been different Spice Girls than we would have known, just like a lot of artists are. I think there's something so special and magical about their two years on the scene and what they produced and what they did in those two years. And that impact is just never dull. It's I'm getting chills. It's still so sparkly and so 
incredible and it still resonates with so many people. So yeah, I, I see something edgier and more feminist to Spice Girls, something that as an adult, Sarah, it sits much better than com- contemplating and, and watching these women now with families and, and kids and fashion lines and whatever. It's so nice to see that they got out when they needed to. And I, I will say there's something as an adult, Sarah, and seeing how you know hindsight is 2020, I'm very glad that they got out when they did. They also are credited with being part of this cool Britannia movement, which according to Wikipedia, it was like this new political and social climate that emerged with a new Labor Party and Tony Blair after 18 years of conservative government. There was like this cool, hip, young, vibrant wave of cool Britannia progressivism and the Spice Girls fit into that and their girl power brand fit into that as well. Um, It was part of a new rebranding of Britain and acknowledged also the popularity of British music. Okay, I'm going to take a sip before this next part because I get real hyped up about this one. Also on the topic of Britain, Jerry's Union Jack dress. She wore it in 1997 at the Brit Awards, now known as one of the most memorable fashion moments of all time, along with Elizabeth Hurley's safety pin dress and Princess Diana's revenge gown after Prince Charles admitted to cheating on her. You know which one I'm talking about. You know which one I'm talking about. But like I said, the Union Jack dress is really up there as one of the most memorable fashion moments of all time. It started out as a plain black Gucci dress. And Jerry, being the fabulous glittery butterfly that she is, looked at it and thought it was way too boring. They happened to be performing down the street from where her sister lives. So she had her sister somehow get, she, her sister had these Union Jack tea towels. And so somehow she got her hands on these Union Jack tea towels that she put on this dress and then slapped a big old peace sign on the back of it. She also took, I also heard um, that she took her platforms and spray painted them or painted them with red car paint to match the Union Jack dress. I'm not 100% sure on that. Uh, If I'm wrong, teach me, I'm here. But that was that particular dress with the Union Jack flag, the red platforms, that was the most expensive piece of pop star clothing ever sold. It was sold for 41,300 British pounds, which is about 54,000 US dollars. And it is now displayed at Hard Rock in Vegas. And Jerry gave all the money to a children's uh, cancer charity. It was the reason they won the most memorable, memorable performance of 30 years at the Brit Awards in 2010. And Mel B said it made her, that dress and that evening made her realize just how good Jerry was at dealing with the media and how brilliant and clever she was. Um, She did resurrect the look two other times during the Spice Girl reunion tour and then in 2007 and then for the Olympics closing ceremony in 2012. She also designed, Jerry also designed a clothing line in 2012 with a brand called Next inspired by the dress. So the next thing I wanted to touch on is girl power and what that means and that lasting legacy. So some suggest, and by some I mean New York Times suggest that it was a branding coup. And I wanna just briefly read this quote. While this ethos that girls are good and deserve positive ideas was not complex, girl power boiled it down to an almost petroglyphic essence, enabling it to fit 
neatly on pencil cases, notebooks, and t-shirts. It quickly became an affirmation, something the Spice Girls and their very young fans could yell to celebrate the Spice Girls and their very young fans. So let's dissect that for a second. They think it was a branding thing more than it was an actual feminist call. There's also a lot of discussion about who were the Spice Girls there for? Were they there for the young girls like me? Were they there for everyone? And I think I think we need to put the, the, the marketing theory aside for right now and just recognize what it did do for these girls, whether or not. And, you know, also take with a grain of salt. I work in marketing. I love working in marketing. So I don't see that as a bad thing necessarily. I don't look at it as though we were, you know, 11 year old, nine year old girls were products as the consumer themselves to be sold to. I felt like I actually really connected with that message and that the Spice Girls did too. They, the New York Times article also talks about how these were these women were adult performers producing adult music that appealed and was marketed primarily to children back when we were called Generation Y. They were never meant to pass as kids. Their skill was just in depicting a young girl's idea of adulthood. So if you think about that, like the this particular author called it sleepover antics um, turned career. So they were always hanging on each other. They were they were you know giggling and laughing and pulling each other into the pictures. And they were there's all these pictures of them piled up in PJs having pillow fights on the bed. Like sleepover antics turned career. And then this particular author is saying, what what twenties and thirties year old women do that? Obviously, it appealed to 11-year-olds. Obviously, that paired with this girl power thing, maybe this whole thing was a marketing ploy. And then the cultivated air of regularness, that they were all regular women, that they were regular girls that had these dreams. And they, you know, like I said, spent a couple hours in hair and makeup, but but underneath that, they were just regular women, enhanced the illusion. Um, They were not, they were okay, but not great singers, sentient, but not ambitious dancers different than say the destiny's child and some people thought they were mock feminists that misappropriated riot girl girl power ethos for personal gain um vivian westwood the famous fashion designer called their marketing child molestation but a lot of people who were actually there who knew the spice girls who knew the you know them as people who knew their intentions and i'm gonna say a lot of girls like me i know we're not we were nine-year-old whatever but they actually these people all really do say that they portrayed themselves who they really were they really did believe in girl power so take that as you will make your own opinions let me know what you think um they also had a very strong impact on this 90s aesthetic and nostalgia i mean who doesn't remember gathering a group of their five best girls and picking which spice girl you were uh their looks their image and looks were real and authentic unlike in my opinion unlike today there was no face tuning there was no social media spice girls generation my generation is the only their own we're the only people in history to have grown up with the internet and retain the childhood memories that predate it, just appealed to us. They really gained gained that. They did that all without social media. Today, this day and age, unheard of, right? Imagine what they would have been like with social media. I also wanna say Spice World the movie has gained cult status. Fight me on it if you will. I will always love that movie. And despite it being so weird, so goofy, so campy, it was actually a box office hit and it earned 151 million US dollars worldwide, people. It was not a panned 
shitstorm of a movie. Okay, all right, just gotta put that out there. So recent years, there's an animated movie in the works as of last year, again, with Simon Fuller. In 2016, Mel B, Jerry, and Emma released a video for the 20th anniversary of Wannabe with a website called Spice Girls Gem, G-E-M, teasing that they were doing a project together. People thought Gem was the new band for the three of them, and they later just said it was just the website name. They leaked one song called A Song for Her, but then it got canceled because Jerry got pregnant. So... A little bit my opinion on the legacy of these girls, these women. I keep saying girls, but that's because they were the Spice Girls. And you know what? I call everyone girls. So I mean women. You know that. 90s music changed. You couldn't control you, you couldn't control the Cobains, the Motley Crues of the 80s and 90s. The music industry knew that there was a massive market for pop music. And they knew that there were many opportunities for marketing when it came to making music for the masses. So they started manufacturing artists. And the Spice Girls were one of the first big ones. That doesn't mean that they didn't have any talent. They do. You know they do. They have massive talent. They have charisma. They have charm. They have they had it all. And that's why they became such a massive success. But they were also a group that was put together, like, not organically. They were put together manufactured if you will and that was the beginning of it you know then later you had you had like mickey mouse club you had american idol you have the voice i mean we're it's they kind of kicked off that this this trend of finding the next big thing instead of letting it happen organically there was a comment on the YouTube documentary about how they built themselves up from scratch, again, without social media. Um, and then another comment, I don't think the Spice Girls realized how much they were loved worldwide between 1997 and 2000. I agree with that. So my impressions of the Spice Girls in all of the things I read, again, I will reiterate this, they were incredibly young and they were so spirited and they were so happy and excited and they were in it but they were exhausted and they didn't know who they were but and they were learning who they were while they were going through this and Mel C even herself looks back she's like I don't remember I don't I watch videos of myself performing and I don't know who that is and you know I think we can all relate to that I look back at myself in my early 20s and I don't know who that was. I had a completely different life than how I have, what I have right now. Melcy was very humble. She was very developed and well-rounded. She's definitely the most talented out of the five, but her personality is very, it's, it's, a, it's a sparkly, shiny personality. It comes through in every interview. I will also say, and I've, I've heard Victoria Beckham ridiculed more than I'd like to say that I have because truthfully, felt so genuine to me so authentic so emotional so authentic jerry's a ball buster of course we all knew that in a good way she's the kind of girl you always want in your court emma was a good balance for all of them and to me i really felt like mel b was the glue that held them all together um so as for their future i'm gonna wrap this up I've seen a lot of articles say that Melby has told the press they've been talking about reuniting every week, but I haven't been able to find any credible sources say they have any plans in the works. And, you know, with 2020, there's no real plans for anything in the works right now. So who knows? But let's cross our fingers and hope that we get some kind of some kind of movement in that um, arena. So whew, that was it. That was it, you guys. That was my first episode right now. I feel great. Okay, I feel fantastic. I like I said, I loved I loved researching this. This was so much fun. This is the part of the 
the episode that I would have a special segment. And like I said, this is going to be different. Next week, I'm going to have a guest. I'm not going to just be talking at you. We're going to have two people chatting. And then these special segments are going to be a kind of a, a question and answer, advice corner. Um, so I'll be introducing those next week. TTTH pod on Twitter. Talk to the hand pod on Instagram. Or you can follow me personally, Sarah with four H's, Christine on Instagram. Um, next week, like I said, I'll have a guest. I'll be joined by my sister, Sam. We have a really fun, fun topic that she came up with. I'm so excited to research this one. Thank you so, so much for listening to my first episode and send me your thoughts. Let me know what you think about the Spice Girls. Send me your favorite Spice Girls song. Send me your favorite memory of the Spice Girls. Which Spice Girl were you? And I will see you next week and have a fantastic week, everybody. Thanks.